Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women business owners, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gums. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a black woman in business. Today's episode is all about owning your niche. We're chatting with Denise Woodard, founder and CEO of Partake Foods, which is changing the food industry and the supermarket aisles with its allergy-friendly cookies and baking mixes. Welcome to Sisters Inc, Denise, and thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about our conversation. You have such a classic story of becoming an entrepreneur as you were really setting out to solve your own problem. Tell us how Partake Foods came to be. Sure, so I spent my career in corporate America. I was at Coca-Cola for nearly a decade and pretty serendipitously, I had the opportunity to work in their venturing and emerging brands group where I worked on emerging brands that Coke was investing in and acquiring. And I loved what I did and I had no intention of leaving, but I'd always had an entrepreneurial spirit and a side hustle. And then my daughter came along and she's six now but right around her first birthday, we learned that she had a lot of food allergies and I was really frustrated with the options that I could find for her from a taste perspective, from a nutritional perspective, kind of frankly, from a brand coolness perspective. I felt like a lot of the stuff in the allergy friendly space wasn't particularly cool and wouldn't allow her to share confidently with her friends. And when I couldn't find a solution that my, met my family's needs, I left my career at Coke and, and I launched Partake Foods. I had the idea back in the summer of 2016. I spent a year moonlighting and then I left my job in the summer of 2017. I love that you mentioned the cool factor of it. I mean, I grew up with a food allergy myself and it's absolutely true. Like, I mean, even to this day, I'm a grown woman. And when I get on the airplane and they make announcement, they're like, please don't eat any peanuts. We have a passenger with an allergy. Like, I just want to hide in my chair. And so like, that's, that's a big deal. Like at the beginning, were you aware of like how cool you wanted the brand to be? Yes, because the emotional component was the biggest thing for me. I was like, yeah, she can have stuff that like, you know, ingredients aren't great every now and again. Um, but when I thought about all of the social events, whether it was birthday parties, whether it was play dates, whether it was holiday celebrations, where she wouldn't be able to participate and she would feel even more isolated and even more anxious and even more left out because of the food allergy. And then when I realized how many millions of people are affected by food allergies and how many millions of people are also gluten-free or plant-based and have dietary restrictions, I felt like there needed to be a better solution. So it was really the coolness factor piece and the want me, wanting my daughter to be able to partake, pun intended, or be included is the thing that really set me over the edge. You mentioned that you had a career in corporate America as a sales executive that you loved. What was the learning curve like for you going from that to being a food entrepreneur? It was interesting because I think that role gave me enough confidence and enough like know-how of how to speak the lingo and the acronyms to be dangerous. But when I got into like the weeds of really being an entrepreneur, I realized how much I didn't know because oftentimes in large corporations, like I was an expert in my in my niche area, but outside of that, I didn't understand how a PL worked. I didn't understand how to build a marketing campaign. I didn't definitely didn't understand anything around food safety or production. And so 
I didn't realize until I got into it how much I didn't know. But thankfully, because of my career, it gave me at least a bit of a head start on the sales front. And where did you go to get that knowledge? Google, LinkedIn stalking, <laughs> literally, honestly, just like asking people, asking anyone I could find. I was, um, it was a muscle I had to really work on, work on strengthening because I, I don't like asking for help and I am kind of an introvert. And so reaching out to people I didn't know to ask them for help for, for problems was definitely a challenge, but it was really inspiring for me to see how many people were willing to share their resources, their knowledge, their network with me as I was getting the business off the ground, which is one of the reasons that mentorship and advocacy is so important to me now that our business has grown a bunch because I don't think we'd be here today if people hadn't been willing to help me. So you aren't just any food entrepreneur. I think that's difficult enough to figure out, but you make a very specific type of product, which is allergy friendly. Logistically, how challenging was it to commercially manufacture foods that both taste good and are free of the top eight allergens, which for everyone out there, that's wheat, tree nuts, peanuts, milk, eggs, soy, fish, and shellfish. Like that was so good. No one ever can rattle them all like that. I mean, it's a tall order. I mean, coming from someone who is used to reading ingredient labels and I'm like, I'm buying something that has absolutely nothing to do with one of those things. And then of course you get may contain traces of this or manufactured in a, in a facility that also uses this stuff. So, I mean, that was a big challenge for you. What was it like at the beginning trying to do that? have a product that tastes good and make it like commercially scalable. So I think those were two of the biggest challenges that we've had in this short history of our business, how to make the product, where to make the product. I am a mediocre baker at best. And so I got into the kitchen and while I had a very clear vision of what I wanted, I wasn't able to execute upon it. But thanks to some of that cold outreach and LinkedIn stalking, I found a woman who was an absolute dream and had the experience and still works on commercializing our products for us to this day and believed in the vision and was willing to take a chance by working with someone with a small budget, but a big dream. And so that's how we figured that piece out. And then the where to make it, I'm a very big proponent of starting small. However, for us, there were no commercial kitchens that were top eight allergen free. And with being allergy friendly at the core of our value proposition, that was a place where I couldn't cut any corners. And so we had to find a top eight allergen free manufacturing facility. And we found one that we fell in love with but they work with large multinational corporations, not small startups with people cold calling them. And so we had this like chicken and egg situation where I ran a Kickstarter campaign and ended up finishing in the top 1% of food Kickstarters. Cause I was like, well, I'll show them that other people think this is a good idea besides me. Thankfully that all worked out. They've been a phenomenal partner. We're co-investing in an oven right now that's the length of a football field to keep up with all the cookies that we need to make. So it ended up working out okay, but I definitely had doubts in the beginning on, will I be able to, to get this company off the ground if I, if I don't have a place to make it and I don't know how to make the product. You said that sentence so matter-of-factly that you're co-investing in an oven that's the length of a football field. I've been wrapping my head around it. If you said that to like yourself back in 2016, would you have fainted? I wouldn't have even known that was possible. I would have like, my dream as a frustrated food allergy mom was to make a product that I was proud of and to sell it in like 
you know, 500, 1,000 stores. I wanted to create something scalable, but I don't think I could have ever dreamed of a vision as big as what I think our, our brand can be and has become. Wow. So foods that cater to those with allergies, food insensitivities, and dietary restrictions are becoming more common nowadays. But when you first founded the company five years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. And I know that you used to drive to natural food stores every day to do demonstrations. What was your strategy when you were starting out to be successful with what was considered a specialty or a niche product? Sure. So for me, it was important to start really small. One, because as a woman, as a person of color with no investors in my network, I knew that it was going to be really hard for me to raise capital. Um, so I needed as much traction as possible. I also fundamentally didn't think it made sense to go ask other people for their money until I had tried out and like saw if this was actually a good idea to anyone outside of my house. And so we launched um, in the New York market and my goal was to get into 50 natural food stores before the end of the year we launched in the summer. And so I went door to door to those food stores and I demoed the product. I did hundreds of demos. I dragged my husband and my daughter along to do demos and we did lots of local festivals and trade shows to see you know, if anyone else outside of our family thought this was a good idea. Thankfully, um, we got great reception and that's where my eyes really first started to get open to the fact that Partake could be bigger than what I originally imagined because while food allergy families were like, oh, this is a fantastic idea, we hadn't built any trust with them and so they weren't willing to try our product. But thankfully, there were these much larger, well, much larger groups and growing groups of people who were gluten-free by choice, who were plant-based, who needed a school-safe snack that they could share broadly. And so it opened my eyes to how much broader the business could be. Trust is a huge issue when you're talking about um, allergies and people's children. Um, so how, how did you overcome that? Um, one, we've got lots of third-party certification. So our products are certified gluten-free, they're certified vegan, they're non-GMO project verified, and they're OU kosher. So we wanted to be able to say, like a third-party organization has said that the things that we're saying are true. Um, we were fanatical about how we built our supply chain. We worked with single source suppliers, so oat suppliers that only grew oats so we could reduce the risk of cross-contamination as much as possible. We worked in a top eight allergen-free facility, and then we tested the finished product for several allergens to make sure that the products was, were allergy-friendly and meeting the, the brand promise that we said we were going to deliver. The company has seen tremendous growth. Um, from being in 350 stores at the start of last year to plans for more than 5,000 stores by the end of this year, and not just in quote unquote healthy stores. How have you managed to go mainstream? Sure, so I think that time in the New York natural food stores um, while it was a painful grind was very valuable because that's what showed me that we could build something that was mainstream because so many people who didn't have allergies were gravitating toward our product. I also thought it was important in creating a scalable business, we needed to show that we could work beyond a niche market. We have that market at the core of what we do and why we do it. but to create the cool brand that even people without food allergies eat, we needed people without food allergies to be exposed to the brand. And so, you know, it was, a, it took a long time to build some of those relationships. We launched Target nationally in May of 2020. 
We met them in the bathroom line at Expo West, which is a big natural food trade show in the spring of 2017 when I had Ziploc bag samples. And we nurtured that relationship and we kept them posted on our progress and we continued to update them and, and participate in their programming for small businesses. And then we finally launched. And so it was really a lesson in patience, um, and I think the things worked out the way they were supposed to, because had we launched in 2017, we would have fallen flat on our faces. We didn't have the capital. We didn't have the right packaging. We didn't have the infrastructure. We didn't have what we would have needed to succeed there. So I, I think the timing worked out just fine. I just got a vision of you walking around with like a purse full of bags, Ziploc bag samples and people see like the end result, the size of the company that you have now and all the places that you're in. And they think like it's an overnight success story, but there was a lot of grind in there. I bought thousands of these little plastic bag samples and you could seal them with a flat iron. And I bought a flat iron on Amazon to seal them. And I had my mom come up from North Carolina and she literally like flat iron sealed thousands of samples for me alongside my husband and me. And so, yeah, it's, it's been a, a long time coming, but I think that it's those types of beginnings that make you one more grateful for things but also we have such a better understanding of what it takes to build a strong foundation for our business because we had to because we weren't overcapitalized because we didn't have people throwing opportunities at us we had to build something that would sustain even without that and then when the opportunities did come we were ready to execute so we were talking about you guys going mainstream um, and i know that you're far from done when it comes to disrupting supermarket shelves and taking allergy friendly food out of its little compartmentalized thing into something that's really inclusive, which is the whole reason you started the company. What is your goal for the evolution of the company? Sure. So it's been interesting to me to see and inspiring to see how such a small business can have a positive social impact on the world. And so my hope is that our business continues to grow in the form of distribution, in the form of products, wherein 7,000 stores now, and we have a couple thousand more coming. We're launching our first products outside of cookies at retail in the new year. Um, and as our companies continue to grow, we've been able to hire intentionally. Our team is 93% women, 60% people of color. We've been able to put our resources from a monetary and product perspective in places that matter to us, which are in, around include, increasing diversity in the food space through a fellowship program we launched alongside several HBCUs. It's working to eradicate childhood food insecurity. And as our business grows, I think we have the opportunity to do even more good in the world and create an even more diverse in, environment in our own company and think about how we treat our internal and external stakeholders. And so it feels like it's a vehicle, it's a vehicle for putting more good into the world, which is really nice. And I read that you, you know, eventually want to be one of those brands where, you know, every aisle that you walk down in the supermarket, there's a partake foods there. So from like cookies to everything. Yes, we are planning to get out of cookies, out of baking mixes and do all of the things in due time. I think I still believe in, um, you know, going slowly and deliberately, although it does feel like things have accelerated quite a bit over the past year or two. You, you've mentioned a couple of times the funding issues that you had when you starting out, uh, starting out. A year ago, you raised $4.8 million in a Series A funding, becoming the first woman of color to raise more than a million dollars for a food startup. But as you've said, it wasn't always like that. 
And you even sold your engagement ring at one point. I still have a band though. No engagement <laughs> ring anymore, but I got a band. You're like, look, the important things are still um, When you were first pitching to investors, how difficult was it to get them to understand your products, the importance of your customer segment, and the significance of the market opportunity? It was so hard. That was the hardest experience in growing this business. It was soul crushing because it was a team of one, me, and I would go out and I would pitch all day long and I would get told no or not right now or the market's too small or the market's too big or the market's too crowded or just like so many roundabout ways of saying no. And then I would have to come home at night and keep the business going so that we would continue to have the same, the good business metrics that would make somebody hopefully want to say yes. And then thankfully, after nearly 100 no's, um, in the summer of 2019, we were able to raise a million dollar seed round of funding that was led by Marcy Venture Partners, which Jay-Z co-founded. And so we got the right yes when it mattered, but those no's were painful. <laughs> You've gotten a lot of the right yeses since then, and um, a number of investors of color of high profile investors of color um and you know i believe you've been strategic about that um so can you share with us like your goals going into fundraising sure so i will say that at that seed round I was asking and pitching every single person who would listen however after we closed the seed round and we were able to scale the business and exceed the business metrics we had committed to we were running a much more competitive series a process where we got to be selective about who we wanted to work with and so we worked with some groups that were dead that would fill business opportunities that we need lotus bakeries who makes the biscoff cookie they own 16 cookie factories around the world they're one of our investors um, circle up growth partners who's a food investor they have a proprietary data platform that helps inform what innovation where what geographies and marcy was able to participate again. Those three groups took up about 50% of the round. And then it was really important to me to get as many women and people of color around the table as possible or funds dedicated to investing in women or people of color, because I think it creates a virtuous cycle when an early stage black fund manager who's investing in black and brown founders can get a win, like investing in a growing business like Partake. And hopefully when we have success, he can say, I was in that deal and he can get a return and he can go invest in another black or brown founder or a woman founder. And so it was very important to me to have those folks around the table. I think also important to me was that our investors prioritize purpose as much as they do profit. Don't get me wrong, we are not a nonprofit. However, I think you can do good while making profit and while growing a business really rapidly. And I wanted investors who believed in that around the table with me. So over the last year and a half, we've had so many conversations about equality in this country. You briefly mentioned that you have focus on food equality. Um, I had no idea myself that black children uh, are at a significantly higher risk of developing food allergies. Tell us about the work that you're doing in that space. Sure, we've had the opportunity to partner with a group called the Food Equality Initiative. It was started by Emily Brown, a black woman whose family was experiencing the double whammies, uh, double whammy of having children with food allergies and experiencing food insecurity. Um, as you mentioned, black children and Latinx children ha are have food allergies occur at a rate of about 7% more than their white or Asian counterparts. Um, and 
allergy friendly foods often cost significantly more than their normal counterparts. And so Emily's family went to their local food pantry and there were literally two products they could eat, potatoes and tomatoes. And that is an atrocious statistic given how much abundance there is in, in our country today. Um, and so we've had the chance to partner with them through product donations, through monetary donations to feed. Gosh, in 2020, we were able to feed over 5,000 families. We've increased our partnership efforts with them. And so excited to see them continue to do that work and to be able to support in any small ways that we can. And the other thing that you mentioned in terms of equality is the work that you are doing in order to bring more food entrepreneurs of color to the table with you to support the aspiring and fledgling food entrepreneurs. Please tell us about that program. Sure, I think um, through my experience in corporate America, I was often frustrated in being the only in the room. And then when I went to hire for Partake, it was important to me that we had folks who had the experience but I wanted to create a diverse, I wanted to have a diverse company um, and I wasn't finding the diverse talent that I need, that I wanted and needed. And we thought, how could we create opportunities for students at an earlier stage so that they had access to the networks, access to the education, access to the jobs, to the peer mentorship. Um, and so we created the Black Futures and Food and Beverage Fellowship in the fall of 2020 when we were just a full-time team of three. Um, and we partnered with five HBCUs and we had seven fellows go through the program where we ran through eight weeks of curriculum, um, all the nuts and bolts of the CPG industry, kind of from supply chain to marketing to sales. And then it culminated with a virtual career day, which was attended by companies um, like PepsiCo and Beyond Meat and Chobani. And we helped those students find either full-time jobs or internships. And we just finished up our second cohort. So we're excited to use this as a vehicle to increase diversity in the food Food space. You would think um, food is the one thing that we all have in common, yet the people making the decisions about what we eat and how we eat aren't always the most diverse group of folks. That's so true. And when we talk to uh, Black entrepreneurs, especially in the food space, they're very rarely in you know, the packaged consumer goods, what you find on the supermarket shelves. We're over-indexing as small restaurateurs or other things like that, but it is great to see a growing number of us like really cracking through, as you said, to make some decisions. So you mentioned there are some new things on deck for 2022. What is next for the company? Sure, so we are launching our first products outside of cookies in January of next year. So excited to share that. Um, we'll be launching new distribution around the country in the first quarter of next year that will allow you to find Partake in even more places um, to learn more and to, to follow along and see what retailers and what products. You can find us across all social media channels at Partake Foods. Yes. Thank you so much, Denise, for sharing your small business success story. As she said, you can find them on social at Partake Foods. And also, please take a look at the company website, partakefoods.com. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and more podcasts from Black Enterprise writers, editors, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, show us some love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. Thank you again, Denise. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. And thank you all for listening.